How does it make you feel? Being, well, more than other men. Writing wrongs that the law wouldn't or couldn't touch. You mean a super crime fighter? Yes. Welcome to Now Playing's movie retrospective of The Avengers. Some assembly required. There had better be good reason for this. In a few moments, you can decide for yourself if the reason is good enough. Part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective. These are not the affairs of mortal men. Looking back at the early film adaptations of The Avengers. It's bad medicine. And nobody said the medicine's going to taste any good. But can we afford not to take it? I don't think so. Nick Fury. Score one for the free world. Captain America. Hey, you need me, you got me. You know that. And Doctor Strange. I don't think I'm ready for that. I think you are. Hosted by Arnie. So working alongside a legend such as yourself really promises to be quite a thrill. Jacob. Happens to be the best damn candidate out of 600 volunteers. And Stuart. He was a greater man than most people realized. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. But it is my best medical opinion that you will experience only beneficial results. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Let's go kick some hydro butt. Today we're discussing Captain America, starring Rep Brown, Len Berman, Heather Menzies, and directed by Rod Holcomb. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob, and I'm ready to jam Captain America down your throats. That's good, because I got a lot of questions about him. This is the first time I've ever seen anything with Captain America in it. Really? That is stunning. Well, there was kind of a big movie that came out last year, Stuart, called Captain America. I've tabled that. You guys said I had to watch that, so I've been waiting. I've not seen that. I haven't seen the Salinger 90s version. I haven't really seen any of this. For me, this is how I knew the character first. I actually saw one of these two movies when they were on television back in 79. I was four years old. I loved Captain America. I had a little toy of Captain America with his motorcycle helmet on his jet bike. This was Cap to me. And to this very day, I don't feel like Captain America's right if he's not on a motorcycle. Weird. I'm kind of with you, Stuart. I'm holding off on Captain America till we get closer to our, as we're building up to the Avengers. But I've seen the 90s Salinger Captain America. But of course, being the comic book guy, I'm familiar with this character. Uh, I don't have the associations with him in a motorcycle like you do, Arnie. <laughs> but that's probably because I didn't grow up on these movies. Oh, he's, he doesn't ride a motorcycle in the comics? Oh, sure. He's ridden all kind of vehicles, but I wouldn't say he has a motocross bicycle as his signature way of getting around. <laughs> well, I got some theories on that, but yeah. All right. I know that he is the Avengers dude. I'm confused. Arnie, in the past, I think when conversations when we were even talking about doing these movies, you felt like Captain America was the character we needed to cover early in this because he's the leader of the Avengers or the main dude. But my question is, isn't David Hasselhoff the main dude or <laughs> Sam Jackson? What is the hierarchy in the Avengers and where does Cap fall? Well, I can see why you're getting really confused, Stuart, because if, if this is your first impression of Captain America, you're like, oh, he came from the 70s and Nick Fury's from World War II. That means Nick Fury should be in charge. Well, Captain America, he's a World War II hero. I mean, I think I love the story of Captain America, the, the first comic 
more than the actual comics themselves, the, the stories and the, and the character. I mean, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, two American Jewish men, come up with Captain America, put out the first issue a year after World War II starts, but also a year before the U.S. enters the war. And so here they are, my favorite comic book cover. It's a picture of Captain America barging into a room, Nazis shooting at him as he's punching out Hitler. I'm a big fan of Hitler getting punched out. So it's my favorite comic book cover and i loved like it was such a bold statement that here's these two jewish artists saying hey just because jews aren't being killed in america maybe we should get involved and they create this american icon i mean captain america red white and blue it's just a great story so getting back to nick fury how that ties in i mean nick fury started in world war ii and nick fury had his troop called the Howling Commandos, which was this multi-ethnic, multi-racial World War II group that Nick Fury led around. So because they both fought in the same war, they knew each other, but they kind of split paths after that. Captain America stopped living, for one. As the war ended, the 50s started, relative peace, the Cold War was just starting to kick off. Superhero comics, they kind of faltered. There was some witch hunts, you know, just comic book industry as a whole, just saying, you know, they're corrupting the youth. And... Captain America in the 1950s lost popularity, and it got dropped. They stopped selling it, which it should blow your mind if you think, hey, Eisenhower 50s, American apple pie, that's when the country was the best. Well, it wouldn't even support a Captain America comic book. So jump forward to the 60s, we get the Avengers. And Captain America is not in the Avengers number one, number two, or number three. He wasn't in the original lineup. In Avengers number four, they decided to retcon Captain America's story and bring him back. And the story goes, he was stopping a missile headed towards America, and he fell into the Atlantic Ocean and fell under a deep freeze and suspended animation, and then the Avengers found him and thawed him out, and you get this fish-out-of-water type stories. Captain America is, you know, from the 40s, is adjusting to the 1960s, which actually sounds like a pretty cool story if you're familiar with the real socio-political economics at the time. Very different than, than the 40s, you know. Soldiers were revered in World War II. In the 60s, we got the hippie movement starting. Vietnam's going to be starting. Starting up soon, where soldiers, they're baby killers. So it seems like we only need Captain America in times of war to rally the patriotism of the young people. And that's kind of weird to me. You're right. I, in times of peace, the 1950s, relative peace anyway, nowhere to be seen. Ironic. And Avengers specifically is a 60s era supergroup. Well, yeah, the Avengers, when it started, the first lineup was Iron Man, the Hulk, the Wasp, which I guess is appropriate for, you know, 1960s America, uh, and Ant-Man were, I believe that was the original lineup, and then Captain America came up just a few issues later. But was he or was he not the leader of the whole group? Yeah, when he's in the Avengers, I mean, like I said before with Nick Fury, is that the Avengers lineup is always changing, but he is always the assumed leader. Whenever you have these big crossovers with the whole Marvel Universe, it's usually him leading the charge. I mean, everybody looks up to him in the comics I've read. You know, everybody else, Spider-Man and all of them have the what is right, what is wrong. But Captain America always seems to be the moral compass who always knows what's right just empirically and never does the wrong thing. And that's interesting because, and I'll really talk about this crossover when we get to Iron Man because I, I think it's pretty relative, but you had this series called Civil War where hero turned against hero and half the heroes thought they should register with the government and half thought, no, we need to keep our secret identities and freedom and be our own person. And Stuart, you want to guess which side Captain America was on? Mm. Was he there to support the government and registration? 
I would guess yes. No, he was all about the freedom of the individual, that they had to have their liberty and go out and do their own thing. This is the only superhero that I can think of that's connected with an actual country. Well, there's Captain Britain. <laughs> yeah, they're all Captain America ripoffs, though. <laughs> Captain yes. Britain? Is that a joke? No, no. I, it's not a joke. And then there's Union Jack. Union Jack is awesome, yes. There are some other patriotic-themed superheroes for other countries, but it all started with Captain America. Huh. They haven't made any movies of those, have they? You haven't looked at our 2013 lineup. <laughs> I can't wait for that Bollywood retrospective. <laughs> Captain Bangladore. So that leads us to the 70s. You know, Jacob, even though Spider-Man's the number one, because of the age, because of the place with World War II, I think Captain America is quite often thought of as Marvel's number one. But by the same token, yeah, he seems a little, especially in my lifetime, a little bit dated, a little bit hokey, you know, right? It's been tough. I mean, even Axl Rose is crying out that Captain America's been torn apart, and that was in 89. That was 20 years ago. So... I just don't know that he's an easy sell in the 70s. I mean, they did a movie serial back in the 40s. That makes perfect sense, right? I mean, I mean, the comic was propaganda. Why not put it up on the big screen for little kids to see? I think of Captain America as fighting Nazis. I think of him as being very specifically about an era in which America could thump its chest and really say it was the shining beacon for the rest of the world to follow. I don't think you can find a rallying cry that unites everyone around our participation around Vietnam, for example. I mean, Watergate, where was Captain America shredding the documents I, <laughs> I, I, for the Iran-Contra? I don't know how Captain America works with the president, whether he is the lackey of the White House, or whether he keeps the White House in line with his own view of American patriotism. I, I can say this much. I understand that they wanted to bring back Captain America in the late 70s because other superheroes were showing up on TV, and so why not have him? But at the same time, I can't think of a worse time for morale when the country just did not want to feel rah, rah, rah. I mean, the Carter presidency of the 1979 was not a time of mass unity behind America. We were a fragmented country at that time. I mean, for this generation that would be sitting there watching TV, maybe having young kids, to them, Captain America is Peter Fonda in Easy Rider, who was, you know, that was his nickname of a drug-running hippie who, you know, dropped acid and screwed chicks in graveyards and stuff. A towering icon for the counterculture and very distrustful of the feds, of the government, of the White House. They would never be behind the image of a superhero that supported all those things implicitly. I mean, furthermore, going into a movie like Captain America in the 70s, we'll get to this film later this year, but Batman 66, when you look at that, for the grown-ups, it was a joke. It was mocking authority and mocking these hero figures and going, look, isn't this stupid? And so that's what I would almost expect a 1970s Captain America to be like. Like, look at this silly guy in this red, white, and blue costume. What a square, you know. I wouldn't expect it to be taken seriously. Ah, but you got to look at where we were with superhero multimedia. I mean, by the time this came out in 79, CBS was already in danger of being branded the Superhero Network. 
It started with Wonder Woman, which started on ABC in 74 and 75, actually started as a period piece with Wonder Woman fighting Nazis in World War II, and then got transplanted to the 70s when a period piece cost too much. And then the big daddy, the Incredible Hulk, we had Doctor Strange, which we're going to get to in a few weeks. It was a TV movie pilot on CBS in 78. Superheroes and action shows in general were big business, especially for CBS, who aired these Captain America movies. So I would not see a cheesy superhero take as what to do. What are you going to emulate? You're going to emulate Bill Bixby. You're going to emulate Dukes of Hazard. All of these action TV shows that are on chips. This is what you try to do when you get a superhero property in the 70s. Which, it should be said, is still cheesy. <laughs> but maybe no one notices. I mean, I do think the primary demo would have been us, Arnie. It would have been kids, you know, maybe teenagers. But that's who they were shooting for. I mean, I think these aired in family hour times. It was still thought of as kid stuff. To a degree, I do remember spending my childhood Friday nights with the double feature of Incredible Hulk and Dukes of Hazzard. The electronic babysitter. Yeah, this was its <laughs> job, and they recruited Marvel. And it makes sense that they had Spider-Man, they had Hulk. Captain America is easily number three on the list to try to turn into primetime gold. And I wouldn't see it as poking fun of their hero, but rather grounding him and trying to make him a more realistic kind of hero. And I think that's what we get here. Well, if not realistic, at least more relatable to a countercultural generation. So, Arnie, it'd be really groovy if you uh, gave, like, a plot summary, man. <laughs> Okay, now try not to laugh. I'm just going to say what the movie told me, and uh, we'll, we'll, we can laugh at it later. <laughs> For example, Steve Rogers is an ex-Marine come motorcycle racer come motocross champion who has decided to retire, even though he's in his late 20s, to travel up the California coast and be an artist. Stopping at the home of a local surfer dude who I strongly suspect is Steve's boyfriend, Steve gets a telegraph from Agent Simon Mills, who's a scientist that used to work with Steve's father. But then Steve gets a phone call from a friend, Jeff Hayden, who has some bad news he won't discuss on the phone. Steve first goes and sees Dr. Mills, and on the way is ambushed by some nefarious characters who pour oil on the road, causing Steve's shaggin' wagon to slide off a cliff. But Steve emerges unharmed and goes on to see the doctor. And Mills explains he's a government scientist on a number of projects, one of which is called FLAG, standing for Full Latent Ability Gain, which is a super steroid that allows humans to use 100% of their potential. FLAG was developed by Steve's father and based on Mr. Rogers Sr.'s cells. And Steve's father's the only successful test subject. Steve's father gained super abilities and used them to fight crime, and as such, he was called Captain America until he was finally murdered by, I think, one of the criminals he tried to stop. The murder's kind of vague. I think it's left for a future episode that never happened. But since Mr. Rogers Sr.'s death, Mills and fellow scientist Windy Day have tried to continue the research, but all subjects injected with flag reject the cells. Mills asks Steve to be a guinea pig to continue his father's research, but Steve refuses, decided instead to drive up the coast and do his art. And Steve goes to his friend Jeff's house to find Jeff's been murdered, and the murderer is hiding from Steve in a closet. When Steve goes to get help, the murderer comes out, steals a camera, and takes the camera to our villain, Oil Baron Lou Brackett, head of the Andreas Oil Company. It turns out Jeff was a scientist 
I don't know why all these scientists are hanging out with a meathead like Steve, but he's a scientist working on a neutron bomb, a bomb that will kill people but leave the structures intact. Jeff had been taking pictures of the neutron bomb and giving them to Brackett. Why? So Brackett can give them to the Ruskies? So Brackett can take care of the other 99%? No, because Brackett wants a neutron bomb so he can steal a hundred million in gold from a bank. Because oil doesn't give him enough money? But because Jeff whispered something to Steve before dying, Brackett was worried Steve could be his undoing, and somehow Brackett knows about Flag and wants Steve killed before he could become super, so they stage another accident, this time Steve goes off a cliff in his motorcycle, which explodes. And while normal science would leave Steve for dead because his body was in shock, Dr. Mills decides to save Steve's life by injecting him with Flag. Steve recovers, and when Brackett's men kidnap him again... Steve discovers his superpowers easily beating up the three men in a meatpacking plant. Now Steve embraces his powers and Dr. Mills provides him with a rebuilt van, a bulletproof shield, and a jet-powered motorcycle that can go into whisper quiet mode. And more, Mills gives Steve an outfit to, and I quote, hide his identity and make people forget him. And it's based off one of Steve's drawings. With these new tools, Steve infiltrates the oil refinery where Dr. Windy Day and Jeff's daughter Tina were kidnapped by Bartlett, and then catches up to Bartlett riding in the back of a semi on the way to rob a bank. <laughs> Try to hold it! Try to hold I it! <laughs> As Captain America, Steve stops them, but by using carbon monoxide to knock out Bartlett, Steve almost triggers the bomb. Bartlett had a dead man switch on his chest, so the climax of the movie is actually Captain America watching Dr. Mills give CPR to keep the evil oil baron mass murderer alive. Oh, Arnie, you're reading my notes. <laughs> in the denouement, we find out that Steve's friend Jeff wasn't actually in on the plot, but that the oil guy had kidnapped Jeff's wife, who was presumed dead in an airplane crash. The wife returns home safe, and now, embracing his new life as Captain America, Steve asks for a costume exactly like his father's, and rides his jet back into the next movie as commercials run. So, Jacob, you mentioned punching out Hitler? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how do you get from there to here? How do you not punch Hitler in a movie where you have the chance? Like, that automatically makes a movie good. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Two hours of punching Nazis does it for me. But I'm watching this movie, and I'm sorry. Arnie, you kind of called it out at the beginning of your plot summary. I get a very uh, 70s certain kind of vibe with the the funk, the bong, chicka, 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 bong music playing. Some very suggestive language. You know, I'm coming down the coast slow and easy. The tennis shorts. You know, the guy's rubbing his longboard. We're going to jam Captain America down your throat. I got to see you, Steve. You need me. You got me. Like... This is just like a whole other bizarro Captain America world I've come into. You know, this is deep throat America. Listen, I got this from Amazon. They actually, last year, around the time of the DVD release of the new Captain America movie, released this double feature to maybe confuse consumers. But I put this in and I'm seeing these guys in these shorts on this beach and I'm like, this is one BJ away from a gay porn. I really, the quality, the music, I was in shock. It just reminded me of porn and there were no women. Y yeah, I, I wrote down gay porno. I'm glad I'm not the only one that has this kind of mind where I'm, I'm always looking for gay porn somewhere. But I mean, they put Captain America into like a pedophile van. Like, 
it's like 10 minutes of him driving in this van to snatch kitties or something like this is already weird oh that van rocked i love the stripes down it i mean i think they made toys of that van i have a star wars van that has those kinds of stripes that angle up at the back that's just so 70s i just gotta ask Stuart, is this what you're praising when you're talking about that 70s grit <laughs> no, because this is 70s television, not 70s movies, and there's a, a strong differentiation. TV was always positive. It was always about selling the upside of things and giving a nice gloss to things. You go to the movies, they'll depress the hell out of you, but they were some great movies. Here, it's just very cheesy, and I don't know, guys. It's not porno. To me, it just feels like everything else that was on TV at that time. It's Charlie's Angels. It's $6 million man i mean that's really the blueprint oh it is total six million dollar man yeah and uh, you know i try to appreciate it as that it didn't feel that weird to me it just felt like okay well i'm now having a flashback and we'll see how long the good vibes last well i think part of what made me think gay porn was specifically our hero red brown i mean I know Captain America's origin story. He was a guy too puny to get into the armed forces. He was the 95-pound weakling on the beach, literally. He was an F-troop. He couldn't make it into the military. So when I see this guy walk in, I'm like, this guy doesn't need super soldier serum. He's already ripped. I think he is built like and acts like a porn star. I mean, his acting chops are right there at that level. So... I think it was a lot of that and that physique. I mean, this guy has huge arms. Well, I am kind of willing to side with Stuart. If I think back about the television I watched when I was a kid, Chips and Charlie's Angels. I mean, even the guys wore short shorts back then. <laughs> I, I mean, that was, I guess, just the style. But it's fun looking back on it now and laughing. It is. Yeah, I agree. Your reference to porno is way out of whack. Everything looked like this. I mean, I had an imagination in my mind about who Red Brown was. I'd never heard of this guy before, but I was watching it. And I'm like, how did this guy get this gig? And I had thought that they pulled him out of the sticks to play football. Because he's got this real folksy accent. And then, like Lou Ferrigno, who went from bodybuilding straight into acting, I'm like, they just stuck him into this, gave him a plastic shield and some nylons and said, you're Captain <laughs> America. Because he clearly has no talent for camera. Like, I don't even think he's aware when the camera is on. I don't think that he... I, I really... It's a non-performance. It's not bad acting. It's non-acting. He literally has no idea what he's doing here. But... I was shocked to find out the dude is born and raised L.A. He did play football for USC, but was a martial artist, a boxer, and had been acting for the entire decade in movie and television. So this guy was already established. I was stunned. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And apparently he's going on to do many low-budget movies that if you look him up on YouTube, there's quite a fan following for him. I don't know anything about it, but MST3K did do a whole profile of something of his, and it's much beloved. But I totally was getting a hick vibe from him. I mean, didn't you? Just the way he talked and all of that. I mean, even Reb. Reb's a Confederate soldier. I'm like, how is this guy not from Arkansas? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, whenever he talks, it's real slow and laid back, much like this entire movie. So I think that's why you get that hick vibe. Whenever someone just kind of takes their time talking, draws out their vowels, like, that's the impression you get. But it's not Valley to me. No, it's not Valley. It's not like, what's up, dude? Yeah, No, it's very backwoods. Just, yes. 
Yeah, I really thought they were really laying on the Americana very thick by casting him in this and having him, yeah, riding in that van and just really trying to keep the spirit of 60s, 70s counterculture. I mean, he's written as a hippie, but he looks like a football player. It's such a disconnect. And, you know, I couldn't make any sense of it. It's funny you say football player because you know what I got a big flashback to or I guess a flash forward because it came later? is Flash Gordon, the 1980 film, where Flash Gordon was a football What's a player. Football player yeah. Oh, I've never made it through that movie. I didn't realize that. That's what I was going back to with this. First of all, the guy who plays Flash Gordon can't act either. And so that's what I just kept getting off of this guy. It was crazy. That said, I want to state, I am grooving the vibe. You said, Stuart, $6 million man, with the music we're hearing, the film stock, the dialogue, this whole thing was just so Chips, Hulk, Charlie's Angels. I was really having fun because I grew up on that era of television and this was very nostalgic for me, the whole thing. I was really having a good time entering this world. Well, I was having those flashbacks, hoping maybe it's going to go to that Chips area. I mean, that's a good place to be. That's good television there. What I was trying to figure out, though, because I'm coming from this at, from the comic perspective, is like I'm just flabbergasted with this Steve Rogers. He's this big jock-looking guy. Then he says he's a veteran, and he's just kind of sick of the whole fighting thing and taking orders. And I'm like, they're actually going there. Here's the Vietnam vet that's turned against America, and this is their Captain America. And I actually kind of got excited. Like, maybe this could actually go somewhere. They could do something interesting. My question for you, Jacob, is are they essentially retconning it that the Captain America that punched Hitler is his dad? That's what I thought they were trying to say. That's how I took it. Yeah, I mean, they talk about his dad was like, fighting gangsters and slumlords i like i don't know did they say he fought nazis i just thought it was weird that his dad was also captain america and like he's this legacy figure i was just kind of shocked by this whole development like they kept going like we can't just have this guy be captain america all of a sudden it has to be because he's fulfilling his father's footsteps which again where the 70s were in the hippie movement we got to reject tradition you know sticking with that family wholesome thing this is where you would take the character trying to reestablish family values I mean, the CIA got in trouble with, you know, drugging people with LSD and all of that. There's no way that this youth audience is going to be cool with a young man that enlists with them, takes their experimental drug, and then goes and totes the party line. I mean, he's the enemy. The cops, authority figures, these are not easy sells to this audience. There's no way. So they have to have him as, yeah, I just want to be an artist in San Francisco on my mellow set of wheels and grooving around in a van with no point in life. It's so weird. I'm wondering if they maybe should have had a Bill Bixby here because you're right. Red Brown's so built that it's distracting that he, all he cares about is like sketching beaches and all of that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, when are you going to the gym? Because don't tell me this is natural. I, I wonder if they should have had a skinny hippie playing him pre-injection of flag. But the problem is you can't have him hulk out. You know, Bill Bixby had the benefit of when he became the Hulk, you could bring in the other actor and then he could go back to doing his own dramatic scenes. Here, we needed somebody who we could go with and you'll see in later movies how they do it. But I think they need to split the difference. Captain America in the comics does not have 24 inch biceps. So they could have gone with somebody who could act 
and doesn't lift quite so much. That all depends who's drawing Captain America. Google Rob Liefeld Captain America where he has boobs. It's horrifying, but... Keep in mind, too, the gold standard here is Lou Ferrigno. This guy's much smaller than Lou. No, no, no. The gold standard is Lee Majors, and he is no Lou Ferrigno. You could go with a Bo or Luke Duke as Captain America. It does not have to be a ripped bodybuilder. Well, you lose something in the transformation that seeing that Steve Rogers never changes. He begins as a strong guy. When he's Captain America, he's a strong guy. I mean, isn't that like part of the metaphor with the original Captain America? You could be a 90-pound weakling, but if you love your country enough, that love will make you this big, strong, powerful person. With here, you can love your country, but you're just going to be the same. Well, the way they write it is this. He has an accident. He actually has two. He has like a really bad day. He like falls off a cliff twice. <laughs> Somehow the van, the shagging wagon doesn't blow up, but his motorcycle does i really expected a the van accident to be the accident that would change him and b that van blows up in the 70s every car crash ends in an explosion doesn't it when when he got out of the van and just walked away i thought maybe he already was captain america the only thing that happened after his van drives off a cliff is his polo shirt gets ripped somehow but no concussion, no nothing. He just picks up the motorcycle and goes on. He doesn't call the cops. No, I love that about him. I mean, this guy is a real lunkhead here. It's like, really, doesn't pee to sit together. You, if you drive off a cliff, you don't go meet your afternoon appointment at your fr- <laughs> dad's friend's laboratory. You might want to let the authorities know there's a two-mile oil slick on the road and you just lost your wheels. But, you know, he's nothing if not affable. I mean, he definitely takes it with a grain of salt that people are trying to kill him. Maybe he just thought it was an accident. Maybe he doesn't realize that the oil tanker was dumping that on purpose. I think he even calls out that he's like, oh, I thought it was just an accident, but now I'm piecing things together. Like, yeah, he literally thought that was an accident. (laughs) So when he gets flagged, maybe he'll get smarter, too, but it (laughs) doesn't happen. But the way that they write it here is on the second accident, after he goes off the ravine again in a motorcycle, he's about to die. He's actually a vegetable He's brain dead. Well, they don't say that. They say his body has gone into shock from too much blood loss, and so he's practically dead already. Right. That's what they say. That that that, that makes no sense. But no. okay. And injecting a serum <laughs> is not. I mean, inject him with some blood then, if that's <laughs> maybe he's Jehovah Witness and transfusions are better than steroids. But they have to get it to the position where we have to administer this drug that he doesn't want to take. And yeah, I love it. It's against his will. Like, he doesn't want that. And they're like, well, like, I'm almost thinking, are they staging this accident so they could make this Frankenstein monster, this super soldier? Well, when the first accident occurs, his friend hasn't even been killed, which is the whole motivation. So I don't know why they're trying to kill him that early. And second of all, he goes off the cliff in a motorcycle. We're presumed that an ambulance picked him up. And instead of the local ER, he's taken to a government lab with experimental research scientists. It made more sense for the $6 million man. At least he was an astronaut. And I got to say that chase on the motorcycle, man, I guess they didn't have the lighting at night back in the 70s because it's literally just headlights. You're just watching headlights move around in the dark. This is not gripping action. Like, I've watched Chips recently. Like, when they got a chasing in there, it's entertaining. This is not entertaining. I have to agree. I did like the van accident, actually. I thought that was pretty well done. The van's spinning in circles. And I thought Steve's one hell of a driver to keep that on the road as long as he did. But the motorcycle accident at night, yeah. And this is a theme. There's a lot of scenes in this movie of cars and motorcycles driving. 
for really long periods of time. It was the definition of TV action. I mean, yeah, we rented a helicopter. We shot a bunch of footage. You're going to see it all. (laughs) But getting back to the origin story. All right. So Steve doesn't want to take their experimental drugs. I totally understand that. You wouldn't either after having lived through the 60s and 70s. You would not trust the government to inject you with something that wouldn't be horrible. But. Steve's a Marine, right? Like, Steve already signed up. That's what doesn't make any sense to me. He's two weeks out of the Marines. He doesn't want a steroid. And it's not because, you know, he's worried about renal failure or man boobs, losing his hair, or even back knee. He knows that now he won't be able to hold his pencils without them snapping in his hand. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, the original reason he doesn't want it is he doesn't want the responsibility, man. He wants every day to be like any other and not be looking forward to the weekend. He doesn't want to be a working stiff like us. Well, okay, I can respect that. I mean, again, I think that's interesting. I think if you're going to do Captain America in the 70s, that's the right way to go. Like, that's where you have to start off with Captain America, is that he wants nothing to do with the government, nothing to do with the military. They've got an interesting idea here. I was really hoping they'd do something with it. Then I started thinking, maybe he wasn't really talking about a pencil. Maybe he was talking about the anatomical pencil. So now you're on board with us, Stuart. (laughs) No, no! Somebody else's pencil, maybe that surfer's pencil. No, no, I'm not saying a sex thing. I'm saying if you're whacking off and you're on this drug, you might need needed to go back to the hospital. But don't worry, Steve. If it is a super steroid, you will never get another erection for the rest of your life. I love that flag is straight up called a steroid in this film. It's like, no, steroids were not bad and evil yet in 1979. Like, they were a good thing. It was like radiation in the comics in the 50s. Like, you wanted to be pelted with radiation in the 50s because then you would have your superpowers. Like, yeah, let's inject ourselves with steroids and we'll all be strong and with super hearing and be able to jump really high. I could tell by looking at this guy he was a juicer. So this just (laughs) confirms it. But then he wakes up. He's been transformed and he's talking to the scientist, Simon, and he goes, who's mad at me? Who's mad at him? This guy really is a freaking idiot. Not who's trying to kill me. Not what have I done? But who's mad at me? They were speaking to your level at four years old when you originally watched this. You that probably that sentence probably made a lot of sense. You're like, yeah, who is mad at him? He's a good guy. He's Captain America. I mean, at four year old logic, I mean, I think that sentence makes sense. As a quick aside, I also liked when he asked the nurse, "When can I leave?" and the nurse goes, "In the morning, if you'd like." And I just think about how health insurance was different about twenty five years ago. Oh, yeah. Man, when Tina finds out that her dad is killed, you know, a friend of the family that he's writing in to visit, she gets sedated and taken to the hospital for grief. (laughs) (laughs) Grief? Can you imagine the assurance people laughing at that claim? Uh, No. She was crying a lot. She was very sad. (laughs) It's a $30,000 hospital stay. No. But times are different, and this is a different era. Absolutely. I'm trying to groove to the vibe. Like I said, because I lived in this era, I'm trying to appreciate it as a nostalgia piece. But it keeps jarring me when they keep writing Steve as a hippie who's rejected his father's world, but at the same time comes from a marine background and looks the way he does. It was the wrong choice by casting early Steve. I mean, maybe what was William Catt doing before Greatest American Hero? I mean, if he had had a smaller guy, John Snyder or something, and then he turned into Red Brown after they injected him, I could have gone along with it. I would have preferred 
if you hired John Schneider or William Cat, and then after they became Captain America, it was still John Schneider or William Cat. Can we leave Red Brown out of anything <laughs> where he has to quote unquote act? But now he's been injected, but he's not yet Captain America. But man, his powers, it really is. He's the $6 million man. I mean, we even have a $6 million man ripoff sound when he like tears his ropes and things. Yes, yeah. and I'm sorry. I kept picking up my phone every time I heard that. So I'm like, is someone texting me? It took me a few times to realize, okay, this is the $6 million man. And every time they did it, like I'm like grabbing my cell phone. I'm like, wait, no one's texting me. What's going on here? You have a very intriguing text message sound. Yeah, But he's the best of both worlds. He's bionic woman, too, because remember, she could drunk. She had the legs and Steve had the arms. Well, this guy's got both. And Steve had the eye and she had the ear and Steve Rogers has both. Yeah. Plus, he's got Evil Knievel's wheel. Yes. Thank you. He's really everything that little kids want. I mean, it should be said, too. Six million dollar man is obviously the blueprint. They are blatantly stealing that formula and applying it to Captain America. They're not just stealing the formula. They're stealing the lines. I actually on a TV station recently saw the pilot of the six million dollar man. There is almost a line for line shot about the whole pencil breaking thing after the six million dollar man becomes bionic. He was worried about masturbation, too. Apparently so. But around this time, Evil Knievel was a big star. I remember tuning into TV specials where this daredevil motorcycle rider would build up for an hour about jumping the Grand Canyon or something like this. And he would dress in a very flashy red, white, and blue kind of way. I mean, he had been doing it for a decade. So when they're bringing Captain America to the screen, they're going to feature the bike. And they're going to put him on this bike and make it about the patriotic red, white, and blue guy on the bike as much as they can because Evil Knievel was the shit, right? I mean, they had the Evil Knievel zip-pole motorcycle toy. Yeah, this was total Evil Knievel right here. He might have even been one of the stunt drivers because God knows they just keep <laughs> shooting him again and yes. again. I mean, <laughs> yes. What I love about this, so they give him this costume because they don't want people to know he's Steve Rogers for some reason, even though at this point he doesn't have a mask. He, I mean, he wears a motorcycle helmet, but it's not like it's covering his face. Okay, um, sure. And they actually specifically state, and I, I put this in my notes, they want him to wear the costume so that he can't be recognized and so that will make them impossible for the people to remember him. Because you're not going to remember a guy running around in a red, white, and blue jumper. Well, furthermore, that makes yeah total sense. You're totally going to forget about Steve Rogers when Captain America keeps his damn motorcycle in the same shagging wagon. They totally rebuilt the shagging wagon. Why not the cap wagon? No, it's his original 1970s van. And that's his vehicle he gets around in and hides his motorcycle. Like, Yeah, the villains don't need to chase him around. They just need to run the license plate, basically. <laughs> They'll get the guy. But, you know, this is meant for the logic of a child. Anybody with half a brain or an adult would totally reject this. And you're right. In a child's mentality, if I get myself back to being a child of the 70s, I'm totally grooving on this stuff. It is reminding me of early formative impressions of TV action. Where I think this movie really suffers is in trying to set up a villain for Cap. Oh, God. This plot is incomprehensible. And I kind of alluded to it in the plot summary. So we have an oil baron named Bartlett. 
So he owns an oil company, especially in the 70s. This guy was not hurting for money. No, you're actually very wrong. I did a little bit of research here. If you will remember, when this is coming out... OPEC, the whole oil market had crashed, and there was a huge oil shortage during the Carter years. People were at gas stations for miles. I remember sitting in a car for hours waiting for my dad to fill up on road trips. Prices spiked. They went to a dollar. It was a (laughs) catastrophe. A dollar a gallon. Isn't it like now, though? Yeah, the people couldn't get gas, but the gas companies still made their money. No, OPEC cut off gasoline. There was no gasoline to be had. You can't sell gas at whatever inflated price if you don't have it. Right. Andreas is an American gasoline company. They've just had their product cut off, so they need to rethink things. So let's rob a gold mine. This is the premise. Well, let's never cut our gas subsidies to Texaco and Exxon because, man, imagine them running around trying to get a neutron bomb because they're not making their profits. Listen, when I saw that the whole plot was about a neutron bomb, and this is Captain America, I immediately thought, aha, it's the Russians. The bad guys have to be the Russians or working for the Russians. And there's this whole thing where they're like, Jeff had a microfilm and was working on the neutron bomb. Why would he steal the secrets? Who would you be worried about espionage from? Communists. Russians. How could the bad guy not be Russian? Because in 1978, the person you hated the most was the gas station attendant who said, sorry, we got no gas after you waited three hours to fill them up. And that's what they were doing. They were splicing together all the social ills of 1978. It's actually totally on point. Also happening in 1978, Carter vetoed the development of the N-bomb. The neutron bomb was something that Carter stopped He took a whole lot of crap for it. And this was a big protest around the world about whether we should or should not have what was called a capitalist bomb. So they're just ripping from the headlines here. I mean, it's kind of been forgotten now. We kind of skip over 78, 79. I feel like those years are not well documented in history the way the Vietnam era would be or the Reagan years. But we kind of forget about Carter. But yeah, I mean, they're just totally taking what was going on oil company with a neutron bomb is everything that people were reading in 1978 just not in the same article and furthermore there is the problem with inflation and this comes out in this film as well now the whole plot of the oil company is to steal 100 million dollars and wendy's confused by this wendy day because she's like i have to ask is that a character from the comic as far as i could tell no there's sharon carter who's captain america's main squeeze i i don't remember any wendy day but, you know, she's like, why steal $100 million when you could get a billion? Like, the inflation's so bad. Like, $100 million's like, eh, that's a lot of work for $100 million. They should really be going for the billion because you can't really get by on that $100 million. Well, I'm more mystified by the fact that they feel like in order to rob the gold mine, they must blow up Phoenix. Like, that's really extreme you know like i'm a bank robber i want to come in so i'm going to blow up the city and then i'm going to collect the money in the vault that's the plan and so they've been waiting for years to develop the n-bomb which no one has created they're going to develop it based on pictures this is where i get real confused i think you were taking pictures of the plants so they could build what they need so someone else is developing the bomb this guy has gotten pictures of them they have crashed a plane and stolen his wife and faked her death saying give us these plans 
or we'll kill her or put her on another plane and crash it. I'm not <laughs> sure what, but it takes them a year. That happened a year ago. He still hasn't coughed up the pictures. So they send one dude over there to slap him around and he dies. He dies of a bloody lip. As far as I can tell. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they spend a hundred million dollars just coming up with this plot, crashing planes and, or they asked a small child what they, they understood about the world. And <laughs> this is what came out. But yeah, this is where Steve is coming in, is that his friend is lying on the ground when he finally gets to L.A., bleeding from the lip. The camera's been stolen, but the film has been hidden. And it's all supposed to be for an oil company that wants to rob a gold mine. And that the head of the actual oil company is going to detonate a bomb that destroys Phoenix at 11.58 and then two minutes later is going to put on a radiation suit and personally carry off all the gold bullion (laughs) in one semi. This is the plan. Whatever happened to Red Skull? Even I know that much. Put Red Skull in here. Where's Hydra? This is really bad when you're begging for Nazis in a film. (laughs) I agree. I'm begging for Nazis. I guess they felt like they had to make Carter-era villains go here, but that's the wrong impulse. You keep it comic book. If you got a comic book silly hero that I'm kind of going along with, God help me, I'll roll with this silly incarnation of Captain America, but don't give me real-world villains that are mangled up in this kind of garbage. I mean, this makes no sense. I'm telling you, this is $6 million man stuff. This is the villain you'd see any week on Knight Rider, A-Team, Hulk, Captain America. It completely fits. I don't know, Bionic Woman, my favorite episode was some space robot came from Venus and she fought that. Like, I feel like that comic book plots always deal best when they have fantastical villains that match fantastical heroes. That's all I'm saying here, is I don't feel like it works. And maybe you're right, you're probably very on point. The same writers that wrote those episodes contributed to this script. So, yes, you are correct. That is the formula they're using here. But it's what kills this movie for me. More than the silly origin story or Reb Brown's non-acting, the thing that's really just detonating this for me is this gobbledygook about an H-bomb, gold bullion, (laughs) and microfish hidden in a fishing fishing rod. Uh, Just (laughs) woof. You know what's killing it for me, Stuart, is I read comic books. I could go with this stupid plot. If it's entertaining in this movie, you know, we keep saying, oh, it's just ripping off six million dollar man and Knight Rider, AT, all this. The action in this, the I don't want to say drama, the attempts at drama, like everything in this is so slow, like so much exposition. There's only one fight in the entire movie and it's inexplicable. There's no even reason for it happening. It's after Steve is recovering in the hospital. It's this really weird moment. Like He's got like hospital pants on, no shirt. Three guys come in with guns saying, you're coming with us. The next thing, time we see him, he's all in denim with a sweater <laughs> vest. And they take him into a meatpacking plant with his hands tied up for God knows what reason. Because they really liked Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> This is the only fight we get, him busting the ropes and throwing a bunch of meat around. Yeah, it's just painful. Like, you always have to have exposition. But you should be able to spit that out fairly quick, especially when you're doing a comic book villain plot. Like, the lengths they go to explain every little thing in this movie, TV show, whatever this is, it's just painful. Arnie, I don't know how at four years old this thing kept your attention. I don't honestly think it did. (laughs) 
I really don't. I, you, you were probably busy playing with your little Marvel toys while this was playing in the background. Yeah, I probably was because honestly, I remember seeing some of it. I don't remember sitting down and watching this end to end. But you guys are saying you're having trouble with that part. To me, I think the whole problem with this, if I can pull out Stuart's phrase, this movie got Dolph. I think all of this could work with a charming leading man instead of Red Brown. Oh, you're absolutely right. I was definitely thinking about Lundgren here. I mean, he's dead weight in this role, but I don't feel like he's any more stiff than sort of the rest of it. I don't feel like there's a great story happening that's killed by one performance. I feel like it's amateur hour. It's TV. I mean, let's just call it what it is. This isn't made for people to turn off the lights and give their full attention to. This is something you half watch while you're eating your TV dinner and fighting with your little sister. I mean, what, this was released in theaters in Turkey and Sweden. <laughs> in Turkey, sorry, Turkey and Sweden. <laughs> it's one of our exports. But you know what? That's how I came in to judge it was as a 70s TV show pilot, as a 70s TV movie. I came in with the thoughts of chips and all that. And had it been somebody engaging in the lead, all of this could have worked. You mean he's no Eric Estrada and David Hasselhoff? I mean, come on. Those guys aren't that engaging. But they're more engaging than Red Brown. And you know who I liked in this was Len Berman. You mentioned Greatest American Hero, Stuart. He was really reminding me of the FBI agent from Greatest American Hero. Robert Culp, the guy who gave Ralph all his missions. That's who this guy was reminding me of. And I was really enjoying his delivery of some really terrible lines delivering the backstory of steve's dad anytime this guy was on as this mysterious fbi agent research scientist i was actually having a good time well i I think you might be overstating it but he does have as much chemistry with red brown as wendy day does were they supposed to have chemistry they kissed once okay I think Steve was uh, more into the surfer dude with waxing his longboard at the beginning of the film. That I, I, I don't think Steve's into anybody. <laughs> I don't get a vibe that there was a gay vibe at the beginning. I don't think Steve is smart enough to know what's going on. He has the mind of a child. <laughs> Are they mad at me? <laughs> I'm wondering if they can do something to invent some IQ points, because that's really what needs the boost. He might be 100% of his potential physically, but mentally, I mean, I think at my age, you know, I could probably have outcolored him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to think you've got to get somebody mentally deficient to put on that suit. <laughs> that suit that they give him when he finally suits up. And by the, just for reference for the listener, we're about 15 minutes from the end of the movie at this point. When he's finally given the suit and the bike. And 14 of those minutes are him just taking the bike for a test ride. (laughs) Let's go through his gear and start with that suit. This suit is high freaking sterical. They painted wings on that motorcycle helmet to represent Captain America's hood. And it's a blue jumper with red and white stripes down the shoulder. This guy looks like the biggest dork ever. But not any more so than Evil Knievel. I mean, again, I would say that it was the 70s. Ugly clothes looked good. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have a ha- little half cape on like Knievel used. Mm-hmm. It would make good underoos, but you're right. It's a lousy superhero costume. And certainly in the light of adulthood, I mean, this whole thing is ridiculous. That's why I'm trying to keep it kitty. No, you, what's ridiculous is a shield. Oh, God. That's like a stripper accessory. This, like the shield, like that's... Captain America, like, that's his thing, is the shield. And they give him this 
clear plexiglass. Like I love the line, like, you know, it's a rather deadly weapon. Let me demonstrate. And then you get like a three minute scene of it floating around like a boomerang <laughs> in the air. I, I'm waiting for like the Frisbee logo to pop up during that. This is the most deadly weapon they could come up with. The thing, first of all, is too small. You couldn't do anything with this shield. You couldn't protect anything. The clear plastic makes it, in some of the motorcycle scenes, you can see the shield bending. It's not going to protect you from road gravel. It is so miserably terrible. And yeah, when they throw it and it floats, you can practically see the string. Yeah, it's not like fast and dynamic. It's like homemade flying saucer. Someone's trying to fake something to get into the weekly world news here. It's so bad. Like, you're telling me, oh, this is in line with, you know, the stuff that you're doing in A-Team and Knight Rider. Kit was badass. This motorcycle and shield, they're no kit. The motorcycle, of course, it has a jet propulsion. So it comes out of the back of the van, which, you know, I'm thinking Knight Rider might have ripped this off. Flag, Foundation for Law and Government, a super vehicle that's stored in the back of a bigger vehicle. But... And the back of the shagging wagon comes this bike, and Steve's like, well, how does it come out? It has a jet engine. Well, his van had shag carpet in it. Wouldn't a jet engine going off melt the shag? And if you have a vehicle that you can turn into whisper quiet mode, why would you ever want it loud? I have that same question about my vacuum. My vacuum has a quiet mode. Do you think I ever want to lose your hearing mode? Furthermore, the bad guy show up in their helicopter to shoot at him when he's taking this secret motorcycle on a secret test ride in its super secret quiet mode. <laughs> this goes with my theory that I think the good guys are trying to set him up and really kill him because this doesn't make any sense. The motorcycle might have been in silent mode, but the costume was full on loud. <laughs> don't think he could have been camouflaged in that little nature preserve he was riding around in. When the helicopter shows up and starts shooting at him, I was confused. I'm like, did Dr. Mills bring them in to test his superpowers? That's what I thought. I seriously <laughs> thought that because it makes no sense to have bad guys just all of a sudden show up. In a helicopter. No, no. Let's be very specific here. We know who these bad guys are and what they're trying to accomplish in the ways that they are. Why is Steve a target at all? We will find out that the oil company has been donating to the very research that they are now trying to stop. They wanted to develop this super steroid. That's why they gave the guy money. It's why they have a connection whatsoever. They've been wanting to kill Steve because they somehow know that he's eventually going to be injected with the steroid. It's actually, it's stated two different ways because at the beginning... They go, we have to stop Steve because he's going to be injected to become Captain America, just like his dad. So I think because they're evil, they know he's going to do that. But then when Steve comes across Jeff's body, Jeff whispers, Christine, Steve, and which basically is saying Christine's still alive. They don't know what Jeff whispers. So they think Jeff might have ratted them out as his dying confession. And so they want to kill Steve to keep their neutron bomb plan secret but when they have opportunities to kill him they just kidnap him and take him to a meat packing place there's no reason to kill or attack steve when he is himself says all i want to do is go right up the coast and draw some pelicans i mean i feel like 
buy him some oils and paper <laughs> and send him on his way, and he can stop with all the shotgun and helicopter nonsense. This dude doesn't want to be here. He doesn't know anything about Captain America. It's unfortunate that they can't find a reason to get Steve engaged until, really, you're right, the very end. The only reason he gets involved at all is because Wendy Day and Tina get kidnapped. And he doesn't even notice for 12 hours. Wendy's supposed to go talk to Tina about, you know, what she might know about this film that's missing. And it's like 12 hours later, they're like, hey, have you seen those girls? (laughs) No. Oh, God. Jesus, you're too stupid to be in this show. (laughs) It's midnight, and they're still at lunch? Really? Why don't you go draw something? So, Steve eventually breaks into the oil company, breaks out the girls... And then they have to catch up to the semi with the helicopter because the jet-powered bike isn't good enough. And he keeps ditching his bike. Have you guys noticed that along the way? Yes, and what I love is, like, the writers are so concerned we're going to be worrying about the continuity of the bike. They have to drop lines like, hey, our guy's got the bike. Because we're worried about what's happening with his bike while he's jumping onto a semi and slowly crawling across it to stop this neutron bomb. All right, you may laugh at me. You usually do. But I was worried about it. It's like, I I agree. I was, too. I was like, oh, no, that bike's got to come back. It's the coolest thing in the show. Oh, man. I, I mean, he ditches it when he jumps onto the helicopter that's shooting at him. And I'm like, wow, they just gave him that bike and it took a fall. <laughs> and somehow it comes back to that. And then he jumps. It had the shield mount- mounted to it. It's the deadliest weapon ever. So it protects that thing when it falls down. And then he does this. And I love how he decides to stop the semi, though, is by routing one of its exhaust pipes into the back so that the oil magistrate who's sitting alone with a neutron bomb starts to choke. And a book! He's actually reading a book! (laughs) Well, just in case things go wrong, this was 1979. He really had to know how the stand ends. Here's when I lose it. And Arnie, you touched upon in the plot summary. The climax of this movie is Captain America standing around why the bad guy is given CPR and make sure he doesn't die. Like, that is the climax. Yeah, the climax needs to be defusing the bomb as the yes! counter takes down, not watching. <laughs> and it needs to be Captain America doing it, not some scientist dude walking in. And, you know, Steve is standing there, like, holding. He's not even pumping that breathing apparatus over the guy's mouth. He's just holding it there. <laughs> None of them have thought to actually remove him out to the fresh mountain air either. He's, they're still in the back of the semi filled with exhaust and then like, yeah, putting an oxygen mask over him. And then you hear sirens and Dr. Mills is like, that's the authorities. Why don't you go back to the chopper? And I'm thinking they're keeping Captain America secret. They goes, and I'll join you. They can defuse this bomb. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We never get to the gold mine. We never get to see anything that I thought that the climax was going to occur. I don't even think we get to Phoenix. It's, yeah, some mountain road pulled over to the side for a first aid lesson. This is the end of the movie. Hey, we got to see Captain America. He did jam himself down a few throats. (laughs) Yeah, he jammed him down with an exhaust pipe. (laughs) And then at the end, he's embraced his destiny. But he's like, but I have to be just like my father and have his outfit. I thought the outfit was based off his drawings. Was he drawing his father? I uh, th- This movie 
doesn't make sense to me. More illogical still, the woman that may or may not have been in a plane crash. I don't know if there was a plane crash. I don't know if they lied and said we, your wife is dead in a plane crash, but we really have her. I, I, but anyway, the happy ending is that she gets to go back and be with Tina. Like, I don't even know what to say about this. Where was she? Where did It was the 70s. Her? I mean... Even something that depressing was a happy ending then. Yeah, no, they. I agree. They like they wouldn't want to think about the fact that Tina was an orphan now with her dad dropping dead at the beginning of the movie. I guess they have to give her at least one parent. It would be upsetting as a child. I guess Tina is the closest to a child you would identify here. She's college, but you know you would be worried about the fact that both her parents were killed. So magically pulled from the wreckage, it's the woman that supposedly died a year ago in a plane crash and. That's beautiful, man. But it's, again, very fitting with 70s television, if you take away the one-year gap. (laughs) That must have been a hell of a year. Give us the film, no. Give us the film, no. (laughs) Six months later, give us the film. No. Uh -uh. Give us the film. (laughs) Maybe he didn't like his wife that much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jacob Stewart, you recommend Captain America? Jacob? We always talk about we have different scales depending on the type of movie. This is a TV movie, so we have totally different scale here. And this movie, even as a TV show, even as a 70s TV show, still fails for me because there is 70s TV that I watched as a kid that I haven't watched in the last couple of years, but I've seen it, you know, in, with recent memory that still holds up as entertaining. Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider, A Team, all those shows we've mentioned. They're still fun chips. I still love chips. It's still a fun show. But the pace of this is just, it's mind boggling. Like, it couldn't hold my attention now. And, you know, I'm not of the Michael Bay school of film where you have to have a cut every 10 seconds, cut like a music video. I could watch artsy, slow films, but this, it was painful. Like I said, every time that Captain America $6 million man sound went off, I thought it was a text message I was receiving. <laughs> I got to be hoping that it really was. I wanted to be texting friends and doing something else than watching this painfully slow movie with so little action as a comic book property. How could this have so little action in it? Not recommended. Stuart? Well, I liked it better than Nick Fury, Agent oh, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Stuart. I could definitely <laughs> endorse it more than that. You'll do anything for the 70s, won't you? I definitely feel like that's the appeal here. I mean, it's the most mellow super dude you're ever going to see, man. (laughs) And it's amusing for that, but the joke gets old pretty damn quick. And I do feel like the real problem here is that we have an absurd villain, but he's ripped from the headlines. They try to make it relevant, God help them, rather than do what, yeah, like what Wonder Woman did. Just set it back in the 40s and make it Cap versus Nazis. I feel like the conflict is all wrong, and you're right, the casting's not much better, but for those that truly do like Knight Rider and Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman that need a flashback, I would say you can go ahead and go forward, but everyone else, this is not even a movie. It's disposable television, and it's telling that it took so long for it to even show up on DVD. Not recommend. I truly like 70s television. I have a big nostalgia factor for it, but beyond that, I like it as an adult. When new channels come out on cable, it seems they always mine these early 80s, late 70s things. The Fall Guy, Magnum P.I., Incredible Hulk, which we will be getting to. All these shows I really dig, and Dukes of Hazard and Hulk were my Friday night. So when this thing started, I was really 
grooving the music. I was grooving everything. And I even got the pacing and everything because I guess I'm a connoisseur of this trash TV. And so it was exactly par in that regard. The villain, the plotting, the lack of action. You couldn't do a lot of action. They had some chases. They only had one fight, but they had a couple chases. And, I mean, my definition of this type of pacing is either Dukes of Hazard or The Incredible Hulk. Dukes of Hazard had a car chase every 30 minutes. Hulk hulked out every 30 minutes. It was the pattern. And so I felt it really felt that pattern. And I really thought about... 45 minutes into this 90 minute after you remove the credits movie, I really thought I was going to give this a recommend. But the second half, the plot becomes incoherent. All the different stories about Steve's father don't make any sense. And I said it earlier, Red Brown dolphs this movie up. And I really think the exact same script, the exact same production, even the silly ass costume and shield, I could have recommended if I had liked our cast. I hate this cap. He is a lunkhead. He is so unsuper. He is practically the greatest American hero. He's running around in a silly suit, not knowing what to do with powers that he doesn't have the ability to handle. So no, I got to give this a weak, not recommend. It was close on the first half, but no, even as a TV episode origin story, I just can't recommend it. But the four-year-old self, you would have liked this back then. My four-year-old self loved the concept, loved the spike, loved the outfit, but couldn't pay attention to it because it was too boring. I guess that's my 37-year-old self's review as well, is it got some cool things, but just a little too boring and red brown, sorry. And that doesn't really bode well, given that next week we have another movie starring Reb Brown as Captain America. (laughs) But I have hope, because at least the origin story is past. We can just get into some cap action, right? And it's got Christopher Count Dooku Lee as the villain. How could that be bad? Count Dooku. Come on. Dracula. Dracula's in it. I'm excited. Dooku, Dracula. They're both counts. If I don't show up for the show, I, I hope you don't hold it against me. <laughs> I am I feel like I, I, I have to be steward here and I have to make that resolution that I'm going to reset my expectations because, man, this one was tough to get through. I agree. Only children of the 70s are even going to get it, I think. Anyone that isn't from the era is just going to be thinking it's a cruel joke. That goes on for 90 minutes. And it's actually going on for 90 more minutes. I gotta say, as bemused as I was, I can't say that I'm as excited as you, Arnie, to see another one. Well, we will find out next week. So until then, Jacob Stewart, now playing Disassemble. Well, you watch your step, Fury. I had your pink slip before and I can do it again. The world's changed since you ran off to the wilds. Your particular brand of vigilanteism isn't gonna cut it anymore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's The Avengers. Some assembly required. Not bad. You've got talent. It's what I had in mind for maybe the rest of my life. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film featuring a Marvel Comics Avenger. God, I can't force you to do this. But if you choose it of your own free will, then come to my house. All the way through a weekend of release review of The Avengers this May. Litsy world trembles this night. Our work has just begun. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, 
Be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners. What's in it for me? You get to live a little longer. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as Blade, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four, as well as non-comic book-based series, including Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, Tron, and many more. I have things to show you, powers beyond your comprehension. Come. We also have individual movie reviews of films like Green Lantern, Avatar, Cowboys and Aliens, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Ours not to reason why, ours but to do it time. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes, and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. From this moment on, I want to know about every idea that you guys entertain from the moment it pops into your head. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I see this part of our debt to the community. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Even if you get the money, you're still going to release the virus, aren't you? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Appreciate the vote of confidence, people. Expect a little something extra in your Christmas stockings this year. Now Playing's Avengers, Some Assembly Required, retrospective series, is edited by Arnie. No general expects to win every battle. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Quite a mouthful when you try and wrap your tongue around it. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises. The Marvel characters and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Jam Captain America down their throats, and at the same time protect yourself. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now relax, kid. I'm just blowing smoke up your hoo Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Get it? Got it. Good. Get you on a rebound. Don't you dare cut me off, you comic book coward! Arnie, you've told me in past conversations he's the leader of the Avengers. I don't know that I said that. I might have said that. He sometimes Arnie, is. <laughs> why would I make that up? I don't know anything about <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> All right. Do you not want to go in that way? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Okay. <laughs> Those days, yeah. I mean, I don't think that you can find that kind of universal rallying cry around our participation. Uh, participation. Participation. <laughs> And now Stephen Bar- and now Steve embraces his powers. I actually put in my notes Steve embarrasses his powers. <laughs> and now embracing, and again I have in my notes embarrassing. And now <laughs> Or Red Brown's not red God, I keep wanting to call him Red Brown. The one who always gave Phil his missions. Was it Phil in Greatest American Hero? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Are you talking about Robert Stack from Ice Spy? Or not Robert Stack, but yeah. uh, Robert Preston? Not Robert Preston. Who is it? The one that was with Bill Cosby on Ice Spy. Ralph. Um, oh, cast, cast, cast. I think that's kind of my 31-year-old self-review as well.
You're not 31. I guess that's kind of my 36-year-old review self as well. You're not 36. Yeah, yeah. You are not. How old are you? I'm 38, and you're 37. I guess that's my 37-year-old review as well. (laughs) Careful, that's going to end up on the... the, uh, It'll be tempting, except Arnie doesn't obviously want anyone to know this. I don't know my own age. I always mess with my age. I I have a range (laughs) if you you try to do a timeline. Arnie and I, I mean, I know Arnie's because his, I'm, I'm, we're always the same age right, for 12 I days. really thought I was 30, 31, I don't know where I got it from, I'm tired. No, I'm like 31, that's, yeah. you're 36, I thought I was because that, that birthday, you know, was not that long ago. Yeah. I really thought I was 36. Oh, I believe that. 